0: to Jesus Christ, and welcome to the, oh, I believe it's the 15th or 16th episode of Encountering the Trinity. It might help if I actually uh, knew which, oh, it's the 16th. I just checked our website. So um, I am your host, Steve Nichols, and joining me today, as always, is (coughs) Father Phil. Father Phil, how are you doing today? Uh,
1: Steve, I'm happy to be here. I got a little bit of a peffy cough, so I hope I'm not too annoying to our listeners. And um, I should also say, I think it's understandable that neither of us would remember what episode this is since uh, we've tried a, a trinity of times to get this one recorded because <laughs> of technical difficulties. So hopefully three times is a charm.
0: Yes. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, Father Philip, if you don't mind uh, starting us out today with a prayer.
1: By all means, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, we record this talk on the feast of uh, your great evangelist, St. Luke, and you had gifted him with so many gifts for the bringing of your healing into the world as a physician, also as an artist, and as a close associate of your Apostle Paul, and tradition tells us also a confidant of your holy mother Mary, the Godbearer. We ask through his intercession that you give us the grace from on high that we need to ourselves become instruments of your peace in the world, your healing, the curing of souls and minds and bodies. And may we also partake of that peace so that we ourselves can be healed by your everlasting mercy. We ask this in the name of your only. Begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives with you and reigns with you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen.
0: Amen. Well, Father Phil, we, uh, like you said, we've been trying to record this particular episode. Uh, this is the third attempt now, so hopefully all goes well. And um, we've wanted to um, start talking about the, the dignity of the human person. <laughs> as a way of preparation for talking about discernment and um, because as, as Catholics um, uh, that, that's, that's really key uh, to our, our faith uh, that we were created in the image and likeness of God, as it says in Genesis. And um, although fallen, um, there still is great goodness in the human person and great beauty in um, and so I thought I'd start out today with the Song of the Spirit, and we can kind of uh, reflect on that and go from there. And um, it is written by Jack Cornfield, and he writes, There is a tribe in East Africa in which the birth date of a child is not counted from the day of its physical birth, nor even the day of its conception, as in other village cultures. For this tribe, the birth date comes the first time the child is a thought in the mother's mind. Aware of her intention to conceive a child with a particular father, the mother then goes off to sit alone under a tree. There she sits and listens until she can hear the song of the child that she hopes to conceive. Once she has heard it, she returns to her village and teaches it to the father so that they can sing it together as they make love inviting the child to join them after the child is conceived she sings it to the baby in her womb she then teaches it to the old women and midwives of her village so that throughout the labor and at the miraculous moment of birth itself the child is greeted with its song after the birth all the villagers learn the song of their new member and sing it to the child when it falls or hurts itself it is sung in times of triumph or in rituals And initiations, the song becomes a part of the marriage ceremony when the child is grown, and at the end of life, his or her loved ones gather around the deathbed and sing this song for the last time. And I just thought that so fitting. It's actually the beginning of a book that you sent me called "Healing: The Purpose of Your Life." Um, And when I read that the first time, it deeply moved me, um, and and just. was another thing that's opened up to me, uh, the beauty of the human person uh, created in the image and likeness of God. And um, just wondering if you wouldn't mind, uh, as you always do such a wonderful job expounding on uh, the the dignity of the human person.
1: Yeah, let's start with that. Um, And I think it will be helpful to our listeners to keep in mind that we're trying to get to um, you know, the art and um, necessity of discernment in the spiritual life uh, uh, as a way of trying to cooperate with, a, with the um, great mystery and miracle of deification that God wants to work in us uh, uh, through the extension of his incarnation in the church. So, uh, but it all starts, as you say, uh, grace building on nature. And um, Catholic theology, um, starting with the truth of the human condition, and then showing how the truth of revelation both uh, presupposes and completes, perfecting, bringing out a fullness of the truth of nature that nature itself cannot uh, cannot attain to. So. Um, you know that quote from Jack Cornfield that uh, you quoted, Steve, from that uh, lovely little book that I want to recommend to our listeners called *Healing: The Purpose of Your Life* by Dennis and Matthew Lynn and Sheila Fabricant Lynn. It's a um, an over a simplified and I so, suppose to a certain extent oversimplified version. Uh, of the spiritual exer- exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola. Um, it's not precisely that, but they take the main um, principle and foundation of Ignatius that uh, as creatures created in the image and likeness of God, we are created to be participants in his glory and to glorify him, to glorify him with our lives as the new, <coughs> one of the new options for the dismissal at Mass is go in peace, glorifying the Lord with your lives. So that's the principle and foundation of Ignatius's spiritual exercises. And of course, he goes into great detail about how persons pursuing God and wanting to live the fullness of the Christian life, what you and I in our podcast and in our website would call uh, enter more fully into the miracle of deification or divinization as the Eastern Father's would have it. Ignatius, of course, gives us some tools called the spiritual exercises and the rules for discernment that enable us to, um, to in a very highly refined and somewhat systematic way, uh, discover uh, what it is that uh, God is calling us to, God's will for our life. But it does start, as Cornfield's quote helps us to see, and this little book, uh, Healing uh, the Purpose of Your Life, uh, can also help us to see. It starts with um, the, the dignity of the human person. Now, since we <coughs> have talked about this in our previous attempts that never got recorded, um, because you were so taken with the quote by Jack Cornfield, and it is so moving about um, the song, that uh, God sang for each of us before we were born. I have done a little investigative research about Jack Kornfield and have discovered that he's actually a Buddhist.
0: <laughs>
1: and um, but in this sense, um, you know, the, uh, he is on to a truth there um, that he's able to see in his Buddhist detachment that. Uh, we Christians could readily agree to. And that would be yeah, that, amen. Uh, um, you know, I guess the way we would put it in Judeo-Christian terms um, is that before my mother conceived me in my womb, in, in her womb, you knew me, O oh Lord. You know, that beautiful phrase from the prophets that occurs more than once in different contexts. And then I'm also reminded very powerfully of one of my favorite lines from St. Paul in the letter to the Ephesians that before the foundation of the world, um, we were predestined to be holy and blameless in your sight, which was your will and pleasure um, that we might, uh, you know, become the praise and glory of God. So there is this theme also in Christian theology, (coughs) sometimes carried to an extreme by a person like Origin in the early centuries about um, pre-existent souls, but uh, nevertheless, the the human person, you know, in some sense, following Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and and as uh, glimpsed by people like Jack Cornfield, um, there's this deep sense that um, we are in Christ um, since before time, from all eternity, we are somehow. In Christ, to quote that uh phrase from Saint Paul that we've talked about uh so so frequently before and, and bears so much mention with Saint Paul. So to be in, in Christ, and wouldn't it make sense because Christ Himself is an eternal person and he's the Alpha and the Omega, so there is nothing that comes to be that was not first in him and known by him. So there is a very mystical, profoundly mystical sense in which um, all the members of his mystical body were in him uh, even prior to their own conceptions. And this links up as well the unique, so so the dignity, Steve, I think, uh, maybe the first point to make here uh, after this long, long prelude on my part, <laughs> is the, uh, the first point to make is that the, the dignity of the human person for the Christian stems from, well, is kind of identical with the uniqueness of the human person in the mind of Christ or in the mystery of Christ from all eternity. So we were known by him, but we were known by him in the same way that he knows the Father, which is in utter distinctness from the Father, even though he's in inseparable unity with the Father. Uh, to understand the dignity and the uniqueness of the human person, we must always come back to the to the Nicene and Chalcedonian definitions of the very God himself. Three persons... Inseparably united, but eternally unmixed and unconfused. In other words, within the Godhead, unity differentiates, meaning the more intimate the persons of God are in communion with each other, the more they indwell each other, and the more they interpenetrate each other the Father in me, I in the Father us, us in them, which Jesus prays uh, extending this Trinitarian unity to the human race in John 17. Um, That inseparability of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit results at the same time in a differentiation among the persons of the Trinity, and even a distance between the persons of the Trinity as Adriana von Speyer so often says, as well as Hans Urs von Balthasar. The unity and the differentiation, the communion and the alterity, the, the oneness but the otherness of the persons exist within the Trinity in a direct, not, um, not reciprocal proportion. In other words, it's not that the closer the persons become in the Trinity, the less distinct they become, just the opposite. The more intimate they are with each other, the more the otherness of the persons manifests itself among and between the persons of the Trinity. So unity and diversity are maximally achieved in the mystery known as the Trinity. And I'm going into this long Trinitarian and somewhat um, perhaps uh, obscure explanation, though it's absolutely fundamental for everything that follows in Catholic ethics, especially our protection of the dignity of life because we do not just protect life in general. We protect the individually, utterly differentiated and totally unique, snowflake-like existence of every human person. There are no two human persons who are alike, save the fact that they share a common human nature, just as within the Trinity the divine nature is shared in common by Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but they are utterly unique and in a certain sense, quote unquote, distant from each other. A distance and otherness, a separation exists among them in direct proportion to their intimacy and communion with each other. And that sounds like uh, maybe a, a, an unresolvable paradox, but I think if the Holy Spirit speaks to a person, they will intuit. What...
0: So yeah, so Father Phil, I was going um, uh, to, well, actually, I'm reminded of something you said in a talk, oh gosh, this could be years ago now, <laughs> I'm not sure, but uh you said something to the effect of that one of the greatest things you could ever tell, or in a, in a marriage, one of the greatest things one spouse could say to the other, after being married 50 years, is I I don't know you at all, and um and how how beautiful that could be because of the simple fact that it's acknowledging the mystery of the other person. In one sense, yes, I know you because I've lived with you for. 50 years the spouse would say and and we've shared all of these things but in another sense the more i've gotten to know you the more i realize i don't know you and uh um so i i i think you know that that's just something so beautiful because instead of the person trying to control and manipulate and and figure out the other person um it's it's an acknowledgement of I am not you, you are not me, and that's great, and and you are something, someone I will never figure out, and that that's okay. In fact, that's wonderful.
1: Yes. yes.
0: And so, um, I I think that really does speak to the beauty of the dignity of the human person, um, in relation to God, especially in the sense that um, sometimes um. We can think of God, um, and I know you've spoken on this quite a bit, as is kind of out to get me, and and to kind of be, um, you know, like a, a master-slave relationship, which is what the uh, the Muslims uh, think of God. Instead, it's no God is our father, um, and and we are His children, and He wants nothing more than for us to become fully ourselves and i um in fact that's what uh holiness is uh what sanctification is to is to become a whole person to have a face uh c.s lewis says until we have faces the reason why god does not show us our face or his face yet is because we don't have a face yet <laughs> we you know we you know we, we don't know the questions to ask him so why would he let us ask questions because we, we, we don't even know who we are so why should he fully reveal himself to us that would uh, definitely not be good for us and so instead it's until we have faces, until we have a face can we see God face to face, until we are made whole um, and I, I think there, there's a real beauty to that that we have a God that wants us to become fully and completely human to be made whole, to be healed um, and not to be, uh, just some kind of broken thing that he sh- throws a magic blanket over and says, okay, well now just do this and do that. And you're going to be fine. Um, I think there's something, uh, just cause that's, to me, that doesn't seem like a relationship. Whereas what I've been trying to express seems very much like a relationship and what God truly desires for us is to have an intimate communion with us as, as opposed to, um, being some kind of overbearing boss or taskmaster.
1: Yeah, I think that's all very well said. I I am reminded of, uh, uh, with your C.S. Lewis quote of one from St. Irenaeus, where he says, the glory of God is the human person come fully alive, you know, with the truth of who God made that person to be. And that person is always a who, not just a what. Again, coming back to that Trinitarian notion that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are utterly unique and different from each other in direct proportion to their inseparability from each other and their communion with each other so that love and otherness increase in direct, not reverse, proportion. And so, as you said, uh, one of the most beautiful things a person can say, and maybe to frame it in a little more positive way, uh, <laughs> that that I think we, and, and in a way that we may experience it in eternity, if that, if that song Amazing Grace is right, when it says, uh, when we've been there 10,000 years, it will be as if we just begun. You know, we could say of somebody we've been in relationship with for a long time in a very positive way. You know, even after all these years, I feel like I'm getting to know you for the first time today. You know, and that would be um, an ever-fresh but ever-greater understanding of who they are as well as a continual being arrested by the uniqueness of them and new aspects of their unique mystery being revealed to me on a moment-by-moment moment basis, you know? And I think that's why, Steve, the uh, uh, the great Vatican II document, Gautam et Spes, uh, in section 22, was the most often quoted section by John Paul II, primarily because he wrote it, <laughs> together <laughs> with uh, Henry de Lubac and, and Pope Benedict. But they all had a hand in that famous phrase in Gautam et Spes number 22, Christ reveals us to ourselves. And what is meant by that is that, you know, before the foundation of the world, we were created by him in him and for him as as Ephesians tells us. Nothing that came to be was before him. So we've been in him from all eternity and we've been in him in a way analogous to the way he is in the Father and the Father is in the Son, namely, perfectly intimate, perfectly united, and yet utterly different, utterly other, utterly unique. We are as uniquely who we are and who he created us to be and who he conceived of us as just as unique as the Father and and the Son and the Holy Spirit are unique and different from each other. Now they share a common divine nature and we share a common human nature, but in Christ we have also acquired their divine nature. But the uniqueness that remains in all of it is the unique who, the unique person, the unique human person, that Christ created and conceived each of us to be. And as you so rightly said at the outset of the podcast today, despite the disorientation from that unique truth that we all encountered when we were born into this world of sin as inheritors of the fall of Adam, we are like pieces of Humpty Dumpty that have fallen on the ground, uh, but like a mirror that has been shattered even though we may be just a shard of the mirror and a portion of the body of Christ, the wholeness of who we are and the wholeness of Jesus is reflected in each little piece that each human person is of the body of Christ. So I'm mixing a lot of metaphors here, I realize. But the but you're right, the dignity of the human person is the who of the human person, which is as fundamental a mystery as the person of the Father, the person of the Son, and the person of the Holy Spirit is. Personhood in God is the who of each of those persons, which is in itself even unknown to the other persons of the Trinity. This otherness that exists within the Trinity uh, does mean, in some way that uh, we'll never be able to really comprehend, but we can kind of intuitively grasp, uh, There is a part of the Son that is actually hidden from the Father, or maybe to put it more positively, as Adriana von Speyer says, the Father himself is delighted in the Son eternally and perpetually and ever more because though the Son is God and the Father is God, it has pleased God to allow certain dimensions and aspects of even the son to the father and the father to the son, to be uh, progressively, as it were, revealed and disclosed in their adoring beholding of each other. So I don't want to get too too mystical here, too heavy. But the whole point is just the one you were making. We um, are a mystery. We are a mystery to ourselves. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, I was just going to say the uh, an analogy. I think that might be helpful that uh, i think dr peter kreeft uses is the analogy of our experience of the ocean and how how really really that's one of the most uh, uh, powerful experiences we can have in all of nature uh you know the created world is is our experience of the ocean and how in one sense i know the ocean because i can go and you know visit the atlantic ocean and perhaps perhaps there's a particular beach um, and, and I can, I, I, I walk up to it and, oh, this is, this is the ocean. This is salt water. This is HTO mixed with a whatever chemicals and laced with this or that. But, um, there's that certain kind of knowledge, but there's something that's far greater, um, and far superior to that little bit of knowledge that, and that is our experience of the ocean and our experience of. Is is something, especially if we are, are given the grace to live with the heart of a child and to see things as they really are in Christ. His created His, his, his you know, all of creation. We see things more th- through the aspect of experience, and and uh, and so the ocean all of a sudden becomes something so much more than just uh, you know trillions of gallons of salt water with animals living in it. It's uh, it becomes something that we experience the the, the sand as a playground. And it's 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 something that never gets old. And I think that might be helpful to uh, some people because they're thinking, well, gosh, eternity, don't I, th- I think I might get bored, you know, just uh, eventually I'll get God figured out and I want to move on to the next thing. and um, And and it's funny, though, because that that's that's approaching something from the, the, the fallen uh, a fallen point of view, whereas if you approach it from a redeemed point of view uh, of, of living in Christ, everything really takes on uh, a new meaning and is, is constantly fresh to you because it's more, um, at least I find myself, it's more about experiencing something and allowing that to speak to me in, its, in the experience in that moment. <coughs> And instead of trying to grasp it and control it um i allow it to speak to me in the moment you know the the ocean again for example i mean you go on a cloudy day and uh, you know maybe there's a little bit of rain or a storm and the, the waves pick up and that's that's one experience of the ocean the another experience the w- water could be perfectly still and uh you know better for uh uh, different type of types of activities and I, I don't know if I'm making any sense here but i uh, <laughs> uh for me it's very helpful that there there's a big difference um and I think it ties into how um, even how we relate to God um, you know father son and holy spirit um, and how we approach even theology uh, and prayer is is um uh, there's two i think very different ways that that can be done um, and I think one of them uh can can get us into an area where where it uh it becomes some kind of systematic program and the other is just allowing God to be other and and saying, speak to me, you know, tell me who you are, Lord, and who am I in you. And 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 I will you know listen in, in any way possible. You know, whether it's seeing something in creation, an experience with another person Something in Scripture, whatever it might be, I'm just open to you.
1: Yeah, discernment, uh, you know, doesn't even begin to become possible for a person until uh, seeing for them becomes beholding. I must have this. I, the Holy, and only the Holy Spirit can give that sense of reverencing. Maybe this is why a Buddhist is able to see this more quickly sometimes than a Christian because of their practice of mindfulness. But I must take my hands off the controls in order to behold both nature and other persons as having an integrity and a created beauty of their own, which is not given to me as anything other than gift, and I'm not meant to tamper with it, even though we have been set as stewards over creation. But I must reacquire, really, a kind of contemplative, beholding mindset if I'm to even be able to conceive of a life of discernment, because discernment means taking a step back and being able to behold and have revealed to me in the beholding the truth of the other. And that's why we must always begin with the otherness of the persons of the Trinity and see that communion and unity does not diminish otherness. It actually enhances and exacerbates it. And once I see that in in Trinitarian contemplation, I am now in a position to be able to behold creatures made in his image and likeness, namely human persons, as mysterious whos in their own right and not seek either to make them in my own image and likeness or to squash them into an extension of my own narcissistic ego, but to allow them to be them and then, more importantly, Steve, which is the whole point of this podcast and the subsequent ones, to turn my beholding gaze upon myself and ask myself the question, who are you? And Lord Jesus, who did you make me to be? And ultimately, that truth is only known to him. So he must reveal us to ourselves, as it says in Gautam et Spes 22. At the same time, because we do not believe that our human nature nor our reason or will has been totally darkened by the fall, it is also possible by looking at ourselves with the light of natural reason and in terms of our own natural normal experience, we can begin to glimpse the truth of the mystery that God created us to be, even before the foundation of the world. And so discernment ultimately, and this is for our next podcast, discernment will be knowing how to begin the process of self-discovery or self-knowledge that comes through looking at myself with the eyes of a beholder and noticing what I'm able to notice and discerning what I'm able to discern in that as well as asking God through the power of his Holy Spirit to shed some light on my own desire to gain illumination about my own life so that I may be able to glorify him with my life, as the prayer says. So, That's running a lot of things together as well, but I think you've gotten us off on a good note here, and I hope that's a good introduction to some of our subsequent sessions.
0: Yeah, one thing I'd like to encourage our listeners to um, check out if they have a a chance to, if they have Netflix at home or would like to pick up a copy on Amazon, (coughs) there's a movie called The Human Experience, which um, shows and doesn't tell um, the the dignity of the human person from a Catholic perspective. Um, and it's again it's it's really not even um, explicit, it's implicit and it, it's just an absolutely beautiful um, and, and life-changing movie um, that that shows that no matter how great a sinner, um, how uh, um, you know disabled or broken down a person might be, whether they're homeless or they're living, and Hollywood, um, no matter who they are, rich or poor, all persons have um, just infinite dignity in the eyes of God. And each any person, no matter who they are, in a moment by the grace of God, can become a great saint. And um, and it, and it, I just, I love the the uh, how the movie really speaks to what Jesus says when he says, "What you do to the least of my brethren." You do one to me, or when he speaks to Saint Paul and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me?" Um, th- this movie shows that, and I uh, would really encourage any one of our listeners to uh, to watch that to really uh, get a, a, a beautiful grasp of of the dignity of the human person. Again, no matter in the womb, out of the womb, how old, rich, poor, great saint, great sinner, um, each person uh, is is uh, beautiful and very valuable in the eyes of God. And uh, uh, to wrap things up, Father Phil, uh, our um, listeners can visit us on the web at EncounteringTheTrinity.com and uh, from there they can find links to um, our podcast, our Twitter feed and Facebook uh, feed as well as um, our email address which is EncounterTheTrinity at (coughs) gmail.com And please feel free to email myself or Father Phil and let us know if you uh, like the podcast or if you have any questions or comments. We uh, would greatly appreciate that. So, uh, Father Phil, if you don't mind closing us out today with a prayer.
1: Yeah, one final thought before we finish with our glory be. I think it'll be to our purgatorial both shame and joy to see at the particular judgment with what an infinite love God has loved the unique person that each of us is. And in that moment, um, both our sins and our virtues will become relatively irrelevant. And we will um, wish we had beheld ourselves and others with the same uh, infinite uh, kind regard that Jesus who, knew us before he formed us in our mother's womb, regarded us from all eternity. So let's finish with the uh, glory be then as a community of faith. Glory be to the to Father, the and to, the the Son, and to the Son, and to, to the Holy, Holy Spirit, Spirit as, as it was as in, the in the beginning,
0: is now, and ever, and shall, ever be.
1: shall be, world, world without, without end.
0: end. Amen. Amen. Alleluia.